0: Barfly Podcast Season 3. My name is Jeff Burkhart, Barfly columnist for the Mirren IJ and author of the book 20 Years Behind Bars, The Spirit of the Ventures of a Real Bartender, and its sequel, 20 Years Behind Bars, Parole Denied. Today, my co-host is Kevin Blum, restaurant consultant and former community director of the online review site Yelp. Welcome, Kevin.
1: Have a drink on
0: So we're here today with Barry Tompkins, who's my page mate at the Marin IJ on the Sunday paper, but he's also a renowned sports broadcaster, a writer, a television personality, and is married to a, a very famous sports writer as well. So welcome to the show, Barry. Great to be with you guys. Today, I think we we'll to talk a little bit about, I mean, you wrote a great column. You always read a great column, but this one referred to me, so I liked it a little bit better. <laughs> better.
1: I was a little biased. <laughs>
0: but it was about the martini and, and the glass that it comes in, and the idea that now everything comes in these weird coupe glasses. But that's also a metaphor for the entire cocktail industry, I think. We're in a different time now.
2: I think so, and I think it also speaks to the mixologist, you know, which is what we hear all the time now, and it's what everybody aspires to be. Does anybody want to be a bartender anymore? I don't know. I've I've always been a bartender kind of guy. I don't want there to be a formula for my drink. And I don't want a shot glass and I don't want an eyedropper and I don't want, you know, tweezers and I don't want essence of anything. I don't want pesto in my drink. I prefer it on (laughs) my pasta. You know. So I guess... I'm a traditionalist, I suppose.
0: Well, you also don't want to want to eat 15 minutes for a set drink, too. Well,
2: right? And that's yeah. really true. And I've always wondered how in a, in a full bar or full restaurant somebody takes that long to make one drink. Does
0: that mean there's 15 or 20 other people just cooling their jets when did you get their drink made? The answer is yes. Yeah. And that becomes a big problem in today's bartending uh, community. And, and again, the other thing with the mixologist thing, because I have a problem with that too. And, and I've written a recent column about the bartenders ask and, and mixologists tell. Problem is, the other thing about it is, it's all these people who want to run before they can walk. You know, there's an old joke, what's the difference between God and a bartender is that God doesn't think he's a bartender. But the other thing is, the fastest way to make someone an expert is to make them a bartender. Because the minute they step back there, they a lot of them act like they know everything about it. I get the feeling, really,
2: that a lot of these people who are doing that sort of thing haven't had a drink in their life. Right. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I always consider myself a professional drinker. Right. You
0: know. Well, I mean, journalism has
2: uh, that side to it. It does. It Absolutely. That, right? I Absolutely. Although I have to say, I, I've never done a show either high or drunk or anywhere near that. That that is one thing I didn't do. You know, and I used to do when I was doing local news here in San Francisco, which of course as we all know is a great bar town. Of course I wouldn't have a drink until after the eleven o'clock show. But then from 11 to 5 in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> that was the
0: problem. You know? And there were no mixologists around at 3.30, i got to tell you that. Yeah, that's true. Because, yeah. I mean, I've met a lot of journalists that way because I work, you know, work at night. And a lot of them would stop by. I have a good friend who did uh, local news, and he would come by to watch his broadcast. Because he had done it, and now he's on his way home, and the bar's down the street, stops in, and uh, watches his broadcast to make sure they don't screw it up. You
2: know, there was a local anchorman for, I worked at KPIX, He worked at another station, but we were all friends at that time. You know, there there wasn't really any kind of competition thing. And he would go out and he'd have, you know, he'd probably have a couple of see-throughs at dinner and he'd get back and he'd be fine. We'd meet him at like eleven thirty-five, you know, right after he got off the air. He'd have one drink and he'd be on his lips. So he, he was like at that teet- yeah. perfect teetering point. Right, right he had it down edge. to an art form, right? You know, I might have if I I might
0: have drunk between shows if I knew I could do that, right? But I never did. Yeah, know. it's like me. I don't drink at work because I, I it doesn't do well for me. There, I'm not saying that it never happened when I was a kid and I learned from that. But the idea is, it's just not a professional thing to have your bartender slurring and sliding. No, not a good it thing. It is right that it's a there's a different again, and that goes back to that professional difference between a mixologist and a bartender. As a bartender is a career person who's doing it, usually a mixologist is on his way to something else. Right, and just because you add ologist onto something doesn't mean you have a degree. Or anything, because remember in California, you don't, there's no certification for being a bartender. I mean, it's a food handling certificate, but everyone... Knows. But you're so much more than a bartender, I think. A good bartender
2: is, basically, he's selling tickets. People are coming back, not because the owner of the restaurant right. or...
1: You know, he's a marquee player. He,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I You know, Perry Butler is one of my closest friends, who has Perry's. Right. And what I've always really admired about Perry is he hires people that he thinks are going to really do the job, and then he stands back and lets them do the job. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that was the secret of his success, originally at Perry's in San Francisco, and it's been 50 years, and not a lot of bars can say they've lasted 50 years, and he's still going pretty strong. Well, so. the
0: one Larkspur is off the hook. Killing him. Yeah. Killing So So, And I, I mean, I worked at the Lark Creek Inn, which was way back before that, but that's still a great location, and he did a great job. And it's packed it's every packed. night. Yeah, every, every night, night. I know yeah.
2: it. I know it. He, he hires people who are going to be personable, right. who are
0: going to sell the restaurant. Right. You mm-hmm.
2: know, the people on the door, if you go in a second time, and I always said this by Perry too, and I think you're the same way. And and people in your business who I have a lot of respect for, if I go into your place one time and we chat a little bit, the next time I come in, you're gonna say, "Hey, Barry, how are you?" Mm-hmm. You know. And Perry is the
0: best I've ever seen at that. And that's a skill. That's I mean, people don't realize that that's a skill. And sometimes, you know, I've I, I've worked with bartenders who wrote people's names down so they could remember it with a descriptor or whatever it is. But that's you have to make people feel comfortable, all people, yeah. all the time. Absolutely. And you have to think of it also as starting all over every time because just because that. Guy was a jerk the last time maybe he had a bad night or whatever and mm-hmm. you can reset and if he goes to jerk again then, That's you know, then you have to kind of weed him out but also people you know they adapt and there's that idea with bartenders you know I've talked to Sean Saylor down there where you have to train your customers too they have to learn how to interact and do that but again, this whole mixology thing is a different different dynamic and this over-concentration on the drink itself as opposed to the environment surrounding it is a mistake, I think. Yeah, I
2: think so too. I, and, and nowadays too, you know, drink well drinks used to be a dollar. you know, right, that right, And yeah. now, you know, you can't, walk, if you have a couple of drinks, you can't walk out of a bar with a, assuming you tip the bartender without $40 chance. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I,
0: I get like, a guy, you know, I get that people order two drinks and put a 20 out and I'm like, hmm, yeah. those days are gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or my other favorite joke is, what is this, the Ritz? And I always say, you haven't been to the Ritz in a while. No. Haven't? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, I mean, the thing is, is that it goes back to that uh, bars are bars. They really are. This mixology movement, I think, will come and go. I, I have a feeling just, I mean, I've been doing this 30 years. I've seen a lot of things come and go. And I think some of that's good. But my, my general argument is none of the drinks you see today at these specialty bars will you see in 10 years because the ingredients for them won't be around the people who made them won't be around no one will be asking for them there might be one the paper plane but aside from that there is no i mean Moscow mules martinis mar- margaritas those are 100 years old
1: yeah. or close to i right. mean those classic cocktails cocktails they stand the test of time for a reason i mean it's not like hey we're being retro by having a martini or a right. manhattan no i mean they're also simple drinks they're not like 10 ingredients three four max and again you're not waiting 15 minutes to get your cocktail no, exactly because... exactly
0: and to think of a martini an extra dry vodka martini is really one ingredient well and also i think you know, your bartender has always been like your
2: counselor you know or your, or your shrink right you know? and if he's busy Taking ten minutes to make a drink using a tweezers, there's not not much conversation going on. You know, you're not talking about the giants
0: which is also important is that that whole aspect of it is is important too and people lose that because that's part of the atmosphere is the idea to converse on many different levels about many different things with many different people because not everyone has the same thing you have to be able to talk warriors with that guy boxing with that guy uh you know uh, cars with that guy food with that guy and that's the problem with this mixology thing is drinks the actual construction of the drinks is one tiny little area Mm -hmm. and some of it can get Kind of crazy, you know. I think ultimately
2: it'll it'll go the way of firm bars. You know, <laughs> remember they were the all the big thing. Yeah. You, know, you know, Henry Africa's right. even the Balboa when it started now It's kind of changed a little bit. Uh, you know, and
0: that was all the rage. Were they now? Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And again, for me, you know, it's the old shaking Manhattans, right? Oh, you can't shake a Manhattan. It's like, you know, when I first bartended, that's all you did. And so just because someone says that now, that means they don't really have any experience with what the actual Why can't is. you shake it? Well, the people just, they don't, that's just not Ruse- what you do now. Right, well, that, and then you get down that whole rabbit hole. You can't bruise anything. I mean, it's liquor.
1: Yeah, but at the end of the day, you've told me this. It's like, if I want it shaken and it's supposed to be stirred, then it's my money. It's going right. to be your money. and This is what I want. So why not deliver on that? Exactly right. Well, I, you know, I wrote a call a
0: while back about someone asking me how I make a margarita. And I said, well, I can make a margarita a thousand different ways mm-hmm. and I have over 30 years. So it really depends on how do you want a margarita. That's mm-hmm. the more important thing. And that gets back to asking the customer. You started writing the column for the IJ because you you had an interest in becoming a food writer, isn't that correct?
2: Yeah, well, I've always been a foodie uh, my whole life, even when I was a kid. And the only reason that that happened is I had the only Jewish mother in America who couldn't cook worth a damn. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I so I started cooking. You know that yeah. that story can't be told by anybody. You know yeah. everybody's Jewish mother can cook except mine. So that's how I really got an interest in food. The IJ did a story on me, in, in, which was very nice. Somewhere in the conversation, I think it was Brent Ainsworth, yeah. asked me, uh, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up, basically? <laughs> and and yeah. I said, I, I want to be a food critic. And so later on that afternoon, he called me up and he said, okay, write a review of In-N-Out Burger. The only thing I know how to write is humor. I mean, that that's... That's all I've ever written. I used to write shtick when I was, you know, a kid. I wrote for an improv group and all that sort of stuff. So that's my whole background. Is I started writing this column mainly for to have some control over what I write. I needed to have proper grammar and proper right. punctuation, all that kind of stuff. Writing for broadcast, all I care about is that I can read it. You right. know, so I wrote this thing on In and Out Burger. I just made up a bunch of shit. I think it was it was kind of funny. Right. And so he called me back that same afternoon and said, listen, why don't you just do a humor column for us?
0: And that's how it started. It's been sixteen years now. And I'm still yeah. undisciplined. You know? <laughs> yeah. My all time favorite is the invisible one. I love the idea of the car wash guy spraying you in the face. Oh yeah. Right? Because his window what? was down. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I I've lived my life as the
2: schnook. <laughs> you know Well that, for that's, real. That's the way and that's the right. way I kind of portray myself in, or try to portray myself right. in a column. I'm kind of the guy that everything happens to. Oh, and, and obviously you stretch the truth sometimes. You're a writer, right? You know, yeah. yeah, and it's you know it's not serious, you know. Well, sometimes right, the story's better peace. than the truth. Precisely. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you make it a good story, yeah. you know. I mean I don't flat out lie. Right, you know? right, right, right.
0: But embellishment is part of the trail The humor aspect and the self effacing humor I think is important because if you think of you know my business, everyone wants to be James Bond, but they don't realize that James Bond's not a real person, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And so if you're yeah. James Bond, you're kind of a jerk, right? right? Or Hemingway or right? Right. that sort of thing. Right. right. I don't think people really liked Hemingway that much. I yeah. Mean, no. I
2: uh, it's it's funny. I, I actually was at the bar. I think you wrote about it, in Cuba, in Havana, uh, where he's there's a kind of a statue of him at the end of the bar. Right. It looks like he's leaning on a bar mm-hmm. having a drink. You know, it's scary when you look across the bar. You're right. Remote. And I don't think he was particularly beloved... No. In Cuba, either. That was a sense I got just from talking to people about the history his history you know
0: well again yeah i I don't i mean if you just read if you really read his writing like with a critical eye you start to realize yeah i I Mm -hmm. mean these people aren't really interacting with him and they don't seem happy to see him and if the bartender's not happy to see you that tells you something right Mm -hmm. it's It's a different world and that's what i always liked about san francisco
2: you know it was always a bar town and you had your bars you know where Mm -hmm. you went and you went
0: there mainly because of guys like you you're gonna go where you like the bartender and... Or just for the show, the Zam Zammer. Famous, you know, I mean, the guy getting oh. thrown out of there was a rite of passage. That's
1: right. right, that's if you right. didn't order a martini, right? Wh- whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just well, I,
2: we were talking when we had lunch the other day, we were talking about Morty Miller. Yeah. Oh, right. You'd have to have kind of a long memory to remember Morty Miller in San Francisco. We started at the Temple Bar, and he was always a cantankerous New Yorker, you know, smoked a big cigar. And he ultimately opened a place right across the street from Perry's, where the Blue Lantern is now, right. I think. And Morty was the kind of guy, if... If he just didn't like, either like what you ordered or liked the way you looked or mm-hmm. even if there was five people in the bar, right, he wouldn't serve you. He would just, you'd yes. ignore you enough that you finally walked out. And he just wanted people in there that he liked, that he could talk to. The, the humor in there was very irreverent humor. Mm-hmm. And I remember one night, and it was one of the more memorable nights of my life, actually. Ron Majors, who anchored the news, I did sports and he anchored the news at KPX. Many years ago, he's still my closest friend today. He went on to Anchor in Chicago and become the big star there. He and I and Billy Newsom, who is the governor's father, mm-hmm. and Eugene McCarthy spent a night at Morty's in, in there until about 4 o'clock in the morning. And it was like talking to a piece of history, you know. Right. Right. I mean, it was one of the most fascinating nights. And Morty just threw everybody out and came and sat with us, you know, from about midnight till we were there till 3.30 or 4 in the morning. And that's what San Francisco bars are like. George Moscone, when he was the mayor, he used to call us and, and say, you guys going out? <laughs> George, George was great. The, yeah. the best line I ever heard about George Moscone, Moscone was, when he's drunk, he thinks he's invisible. Because <laughs> 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 he would wind up in some places he shouldn't be. You know? oh, that's hilarious. Yeah.
0: Well, that's, but that's part of that old school thing. And that's color, and that was Charles McCabe, and Herb Cain, of course, right. covered all that stuff. But again, I think some of that still exists. I had a good friend of mine, Hey Harris. It's a very big uh, attorney in San Francisco took me to El uh, Centro and there's Willie Brown, yeah. there's uh, uh, Barry, Bonds, Barry Bonds, right? Yes. They're all still yep. doing the same thing, but just no one's covering. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, get, I, I guess that is true.
2: My wife and I talk about it all the time because we spent our lives at the Wash Bag, you know, right. the Washington Square Bar and Grill, and before that it, Perry's and, and uh, Morty's and those kinds of places. And there were other places in town, too. The Rockus Corner, right. which is still going, you know. And and we solve the problems of the world every night, right. you know. And so we talk about, is that still happening? Are people still doing that? You know, or, are they talking about a drink with herbs in it? You
1: right. know, I don't know. You and, know, I, I wonder if people now, I think now folks are, the folks that are living in the city, they're always looking to go to the new place. Yeah, right. what's new? Rather than, hey, you know, I like this place. Let's just keep going back. You know, let's be creatures of, you know, habit. They are they feel like they need to be in the scene.
2: I think that's a really good point. I myself, I mean, I travel so much when it's non-COVID time. I'm on the road so much that when I'm home, I have a tendency, I hardly even go into the city unless mm-hmm. I visit friends or once in a while to go out and eat. You know, I'll look at the you know 50 best restaurants in San Francisco and I, I haven't been to two-thirds of them and I haven't heard yeah, I mean, of at least a third of them right, or right. more. Never heard the name before. Right. You know. And, and when you look year, again, they'll be gone. I was just you gonna know, say next year, right. I'm gonna talk year from about now. this. Right. You know, when I grew up in San Francisco, there was the old you know, the Blue Fox and Ernie's and right. Doros and you know, Vanessis, and they which had been there for fifty years before I was born. Obviously that's changed. And and I'm not you know, I, I really try hard not to be bored those were the days. And I don't I, I, I really do believe these are the days, you mm-hmm. know, most everyone, you know, and I'd like to consider myself at least somewhat a part of that. But it was a really different time, you know, when I grew
0: up. San Francisco was towny; Everybody knew everybody.
2: You right. know, now it's transient.
0: And that might change because a lot of people have left. We'll see who replaces them right. and how that works. Right. right, And I think, again, back to the model, I think a lot of those bars you're talking about were owner-operated bars. No mm-hmm. question. You know, the, the, the newer variety is this corporate entity that invests money and you never see the owners and that's right. all they're talking about is bottom line or what's getting in the, on, on, on you know, right. or measure Measured portions. Well, well, that's why you get them, yeah. right, is because yeah. that's what they're concerned about. They're not actually concerned about with building relationships because right. they're not going to be there long enough right. to worry and
2: about And a lot of ambiance.
0: And I, I guess when I was a kid,
2: I probably, was okay with that but again I want you know I don't just want to eat I want to Dying, you know, the whole experience. I, I want to be able to talk across the yeah. table, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. you know, yeah. have a conversation, yeah, right. yeah, you know. Yeah. And I, again, I'm wrong, and what's going on now is right. I don't want you to think I'm right. sitting here saying, Boy, those were the days I wish they'd come back. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't mean that at all, you know, but it's just a different vibe, a different time,
0: and it's adaptability that's part of the, the whole restaurant industry. And I think, I think, COVID is actually going to be a benefit for people who want a, a more personal experience. I really have a feeling that restaurants are going to get smaller, they're going to have more connection to their customers. Customers, and that's just going to be the way it is, and I think that's a, that's going to be a great. And why is that from a comfort level? I just standpoint? think the the finances don't work anymore. Right, right. you right. have to pay the the idea that they, the minimum wage is going up, and uh, people you know don't want to work for for next to nothing anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the only people who will work for next to nothing are people who really believe in it and are and have a vested interest in that. And I think that's a good thing. Right mm-hmm. I, I think well bar- you were telling me that's already starting to happen, right? Staffing is yes right. you can't find people right and 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 that's gonna, that's what's going to fuel everything because you can have all the grandiose plans you want for all, the biggest bar with uh, all the ferns or or whatever <laughs> that you want and if if nobody comes to work there, it doesn't matter because it's the people who make the, the engine run and if if you go into a bar more than once and the person doesn't recognize you or treats you like like you don't matter, you're not going to go back and that's that's been true of the bar business. From the beginning, and it will be true for forever. I think.
1: So don't worry about tomorrow. Take it for today.
0: Please join us next time. We welcome Heidi Krailer, Lifehouse Culinary <and> Host, the the Cookbook Author, and the, the Chef behind Ensaladas and Marinadas and San and Soh. My name is Jeff Ruhren. Thanks for listening.